Hey guys, uh, my name is Mike. I'm the student pastor here at Central Church. And earlier this morning, I had someone send me a video. Now that is an Instagram video, uh, IGTV. And it is someone, oh, I forgot her name. It is China McLean. There it is, China McLean. And it is her uh, really just teaching, uh, using her platform on social media. And the problem was there were some pretty concerning things that she talks about and uh, it could be confusing and I know um, the main reason that we're, I'm even doing this is because I had uh, a few students that had reached out to one of our leaders uh, with some questions and seeming, seeming kind of confused and I imagine if there's two that are sending that then there's probably more that see this. Uh, this video has over one million views uh, this individual has, I think, like 7 million followers or something like that. Uh, so there's a massive platform, uh, and we want to be very careful, especially when dealing with things like this, uh, we want to be very careful to not um, just assume authority and, or assume that somebody's correct, right, based off what they're saying. So um, with that being said, uh, I want to give a few, few, you know, disclaimers here. One. Um, nothing that we're talking about right now is to attack an individual. It's not to uh, try and poke holes or anything like that. What we want to do is we want to strictly stay to what scripture teaches, right? We want to equip you. Uh, we want to be able to say, okay, hey, when someone brings in a teaching that may be confusing and may seem like it doesn't seem to make sense with what you've heard, how do we reconcile these differences? How do we walk alongside scripture, walk alongside fellow believers and understand what's going on here? Um, just so you are also aware, uh, where we're at in the building, uh, we have an AC unit that kicks on and has this loud fan. Uh, there's also some other things that are going on, on the other side. So if you hear those things, just know that's what's going on. Uh, the, you know, the room's not falling apart or anything like that. So, uh, so when we are studying the Bible, one thing that can be very easy for us to do is we kind of approach the Bible with preconceived ideas. And that's something that actually, that China is actually going to address in this, is we don't want to take preconceived ideas and apply them to the scriptures. Um, and because what happens is we end up taking our ideas and forming the scriptures around our ideas. And what we do is we end up having to take things out of context and stuff like that, uh, which can be very dangerous. So we want to be very careful to not do that. So with that, I'm going to uh, basically just play this video and we're going to just kind of let it go and we're going to pause it here or there um, and see what she has to say. So with that, I'll go ahead and hit play. What's up y'all? <laughs> okay, listen, I don't know how people, specifically Christians, are going to take this video, but I just want you to hear me out and consider what I'm saying, okay? I have recently been led, honestly, much stronger than I've been led to do many other things in my life. So we're gonna stop right here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, if you haven't seen this video, basically what she's going to do is address the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, which is a core doctrine in Christianity. And she's going to be addressing the, the topic of, of the Trinity. And I want you to notice something that she starts off with uh, that seems totally innocent, uh, but something that we need to be very, very cautious of. And she talks about, and she actually ends up saying later on kind of, reinforcing this. She goes, something that I feel led to do. Uh, and then she even says later on, I was being obedient and sharing this with you. And that what that does is basically it insinuates that God has led me to tell you this, right? God has led me to tell you this. So what I have to say is divinely inspired. And if you disagree, you're not disagreeing with me. 
You're disagreeing with the one who told me to tell you this. Now, is that what she means? Probably not. However, whenever we hear someone say things like this, um, we have to be very careful, you know, with, you know, we have to be very careful how we take that, okay? So, with that again, uh, we're just going to continue on and hear what she has to say. To look into the Trinity doctrine. Basically, it's a doctrine in Christianity that teaches that God is made up of three distinct persons that co-God together each hold the title of God in front of their name. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the three of them are what make God, God. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. So um, I think one of the first errors that she makes uh, when uh, in tackling this issue of the Trinity, one, it's an issue, it's a topic that for 2,000 years Christians have tried to very eloquently, eloquently understand and, and share and, and, all, and there's been so many times where people have wrestled with it and it can be hard to comprehend. Uh, so one, I don't want to act like this is an easy topic, but I think one of the errors that she makes in this video is she has a caricature of the doctrine of the Trinity and she's attacking that caricature. So what I mean by that is she, so there's the doctrine of the Trinity as what we truly believe that what scripture teaches. And then there is her understanding of what that doctrine is, and she's attacking that understanding, which is incorrect. And what I mean by that is this, is she's going to say, and I'm actually going to go back here and let you hear how she explains uh, the Trinity, and then I'm going to explain some of the issues with it. Many other things in my life. To look into the Trinity doctrine. Basically, it's a doctrine in Christianity that teaches that God is made up of three distinct persons. That is true. Okay, that is true. God is God that there God is there's one God, one essence, three distinct persons. That is true, okay? That co-god together each hold the title of God in front of their name. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the three of them are what make God God. Okay. Error number one. Uh, so, what, what we see right off the bat here is, is a contradiction in the way that she explains the Trinity, right? So, one thing we have to understand, when we say that God is, that, that, that God is, is triune, here's what we're not saying. We are not saying that there are three separate gods. Right? We are not saying that there are three gods. Uh, you know, Deuteronomy 6 makes this clear. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, uh, so, so it's very important that we understand that we're not saying that there are three distinct gods. We're not saying that there is this title God and there are three distinct persons that all have different personalities, right? Or there are different, no, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal and co-equally God, okay? Now, what she says here is she talks about how that that the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they uh, together, they comprise and make up what is God. And the issue with that is that that is not what we believe when we talk about the Trinity. We are not saying that, that God is, you know, one-third the Father, one-third the Son, one-third the Holy Spirit. Uh, that would mean that they are not each fully God, right? We believe that the Father is 100% God, 
the Son is 100% God, and the Holy Spirit is 100% God. Okay, that is what we see in Scripture in Genesis chapter 2. And just to give you an idea that this is not something that I am, you know, I'm not, again, to her point, I'm not applying this to the text. I am explaining this, that this is what Scripture teaches from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis chapter 2, what does God say? Let us make man, what? In our image. What? God says, let us make man in our image. Okay, so we already see this, this plurality, uh, so to speak, uh, within the Godhead. Then we skip, of course, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's plurality in Genesis 2, but God is one. Okay, continuing on, if you skip to the book of Acts, where there's Ananias and Sapphira, where they, basically what they do is they uh, sell a piece of property, they receive uh, money for that. And what they do is they say that all of the money that they receive, they're going to give to the church. They're going to give uh, to the things of the Lord. And what happens is, is they actually keep back a lot of it for themselves. But they say everything that they gave was, uh, that what they gave was all that they received, right? Uh, and what they did is they lied. And what happens is they both are struck dead. And what happens is when you read the story, uh, Peter basically when he rebukes them, he says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Right? He says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And what we see is the punishment as it, of them being killed in their sin. Right? And what, what is that? We see the wrath of God being poured out onto them but because they sinned against the Holy Spirit. So what we see is that a sin against the Holy Spirit is treated just as significantly and seriously as a sin against the Father or a sin against the Son. Right? They both ca they, they carry the same amount. So to sin against the Holy Spirit is to sin against God himself. Okay? Continuing on, uh, we see in 2 Peter. Right? 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. He opens with this. And with this phrase, we see, By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that Peter says that our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? Not to say that, you know, like, the Father is God and Jesus is the Savior. No, God, the God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one, right? So, what we're not, so she's talking about that when you add them all up, they comprise God. That is not what we're saying. That is not what the doctrine of the Trinity is. So, right off the bat, we have a misunderstanding. They are all three co-equal. There's no hierarchy or anything like that. All of them are completely equal. They just have different roles under okay that is true but so do you see the issue though right you see the issue of what she just so what she, her her definition of the doctrine of the trinity is is conflicting and the reason is is because and she's even saying like she's trying to understand this and she and here's the thing i genuinely believe that she is trying to understand I don't think that there is any malicious intent. I don't think that she is trying to lead people astray. I think she genuinely wants to understand. But her lack of understanding is evident in her contradiction of what she says. She just said that add it all up, they comprise what is God. But then she separately said that that same teaching is that they are all co-equally and fully God. That doesn't make sense, which means that there's a misunderstanding of what you think the doctrine of the Trinity is. So I'm going to fast, I'm going to rewind it a little bit because I've been stopping again. Again, there's going to be times where I'm not stopping it as much. So let not your heart be troubled. So I'm just going to go back a little bit and press play. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And the three of them are what make God, God. They are all three co-equal. 
There's no hierarchy or anything like that. All of them are completely equal. They just have different roles under the Godhead. The doctrine says the three of them make up one God. So the Bible makes it very clear in John 1 that Jesus is the Word. He is. Let's stop there. I'm glad that she brought up John chapter 1. So let's go to John chapter 1 and see what it has to say, okay? Because I will tell you that, and she's really going to nail down on this uh, later on in her uh, video, uh, but there is a severe misunderstanding uh, that she has when reading John chapter 1. And here's, and, and here's what I want to say. And, and again, it's going to sound like I'm saying she misunderstands this, she misunderstands this, she misunderstands this. And that's not attack an attack against her. The reason I say that it's important for us to understand this is if some of the claims that she's going to make, okay, as well-intending as she is, when you follow them to their logical conclusion, it leads to a serious, serious issue. See, because at first we're saying, all right, like what's the big deal about what we're talking about? Like, it doesn't seem like that. I mean, you could still, you know, but what happens is, is she ends up painting a picture of a God that is contrary to the God that scripture describes, contrary to the God that the church for 2,000 years has professed faith in. And when you have a different God, you have a different gospel. And when you have a different gospel, then we are led into some serious errors, okay? So what's going to happen is you're going to find that a lot of the issues and misunderstandings, they come from just, you know, taking a verse and running with it without understanding the context, the, the cultural context, the context within the overall arcing theme of Scripture, and th that leads to errors. So she's in John chapter 1, and this is what John chapter 1 says, uh, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now that is uh, verses 1 through 3. Now, she puts on her screen uh, John 1, 14. And John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And she's going to basically uh, establish her misunderstanding on verse 14 that, uh, and the word became flesh, right? She's going to, later on in the video, towards the end, she's going to really talk about what this means that he is the word. And, but the problem is if she would have read the verses before this, she would understand what this means. Okay, so let me explain to you what this means. So when you read this, you see that the word word is capitalized. It is a proper name. Uh, so, right, so he's not talking about a literal word, like, and he says he, so what does it mean? Uh, so in the Greek, when you read John, uh, in the Greek, the word, word here is the word logos, okay? Now, logos, in the Greek, the Greek mindset, the understanding of this is that it was the full embodiment of an idea, okay? So the word, the term logos, when we talk about that Jesus is the word, we are saying that he is the full embodiment of the concept of who God is. That's what that means. Okay, and she's going to go on and she, what she's going to do, and this is a mistake that a lot of us make, even I have made this at times, is that we apply English definitions to words in Scripture without acknowledging the fact that the Bible wasn't originally written in English. 
right? So, the, so there, we, we kind of take our understanding of what words mean and we just apply them to the texts and then we get confused, right? So it's very important that we understand that when it says that Jesus is the word, the logos, that he is the embodiment of the idea of who God is. Everything that God is, is founded in Christ. And that full embodiment of who God is, skipping down into verse 14, became flesh. Do you see how that works? See how that fits, okay? That does not contradict anything about the divinity of Jesus, okay? So we're going to continue on. Different roles under the Godhead. The doctrine says the three of them make up one God. So the Bible makes it very clear in John 1 that Jesus is the Word. He is the Word of God made flesh to come down to earth and be the Lamb, be the sacrifice for us to pay the wages of our sin on the cross. Jesus walked in that, in literally everything he did and said. He walked like he was an extension of God. Okay. Again, the, the term word of God, that, he, that in the beginning was the word, does not mean extension. It, 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 it just does not mean that. Um, and... She's going to, again, like I said later in the video, really nail down on that, that idea of Jesus as an extension of God. Um, but, so just don't be confused by that. that so it's, notice that already off the bat, a misunderstanding is leading to another one. And I think that that clashes with the Trinity doctrine in a very big way. Here's what Jesus said in John 14. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father. For my father is greater than I. After I looked into... Okay. So, here's what she's about to do, right? She's going to basically take this idea that Jesus is an extension of God, okay? And she's going to take a handful of verses that, for some younger, immature... Uh, I don't want to say immature. That, that's probably not the word I'm looking for. But for some younger, maybe less experienced in the word of God, uh, Christians... Um, it can be confusing, and let's just be honest. It can be confusing. So, uh, and, and some of these verses, and basically, it's gonna. She's gonna try and pull this idea that the son is subordinate to the father, that the son is inferior to the father, so to speak. So she's basically going to, throughout this video, what she's going to do is she's going to say that the father is God, and that the son and the Holy Spirit are extensions of the Father, so that the Son and the Holy Spirit are not necessarily God, uh, they are extensions of God, okay, uh, and that the Father is God, so that's, which is way off, very, very, very uh, uh, big mistake in, in interpreting this, but she's going to use some verses, and at first you see this, you're like, oh wow, that's difficult, right, so she mentions John 14, so let's go back to what she says, sorry, I keep stopping it a lot. I think it's just super important we understand this. So, John 14, let's go back to what she says. Here's what Jesus said in John 14. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. After I looked into the doctrine, and then I went back to this verse and read it, I saw a clear contradiction. The Trinity doctrine says that God the Father is not greater than God the Son. Okay. So she's going to talk about uh, a, 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 an apparent contradiction. Now, if you are at Central and you're in our student ministry, you have heard me say this ad nauseum, okay? When there are apparent contradictions, 
the problem most likely is that you are misunderstanding something. Okay? Uh, if there is one verse that says this and another verse that says this and they seem to contradict, the problem is not in the text. The problem is you're misunderstanding either one or both of them which is making it seem as if it contradicts. So what we need to understand here, here's a concept that you should really like put to memory, okay, when studying the Bible for yourself. That scripture interprets scripture. Right? Scripture interprets scripture. So when she talks about this idea that uh, she goes to John 14 and, this, and she reads it, and I'll read it again just so that we can have it. So Jesus is speaking, John 14, verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Okay, so again, let's talk about context. What's going on here? Jesus is talking to his disciples about the fact that he is about to leave them. He is about to be arrested. He is about to be crucified. He is about to leave them. And what he's saying is, if you... What do you say? I'm going, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to my Father, for the Father is greater than I. So, to her point, she's like, wow, like, the Son is saying the Father is greater than him. Right? The Son is saying that the Father is greater than he is. Like, so how could they be equal when the Son clearly says that that's not the case? Well, this goes into the idea of the incarnation, okay? We talk about Jesus becoming a man, okay? So, uh, a great verse to understand this is in Philippians chapter 2, okay? So I'm going to skip to Philippians chapter 2 real quick. Alright, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Okay, let's, let's just read this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay. Why? Well, let's just stop there. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, does that mean that he's not equal with God? No. He's saying that, he, that Jesus, the Son, did not see equality with God something to be grasped because he already was. Right? He already is the fullness of God. So it's not something that he has to strive for. So, continuing on. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and, ever, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Okay. So, what we seem to have here is this idea of Jesus becoming less than. But we need to understand here is that he did not see equality with God as something to be grasped. Why? Because he already had it. But what he did was he emptied himself of his status. Right? We talk about Jesus coming down to the earth. What, do we, what we mean is this idea of he left his glory in heaven. He left his, his throne in heaven, came down to the earth, took the form of a servant, Took the form of, so he took on flesh. So Jesus did not leave divinity. When he came to the earth, he was still fully God and added to that full humanity. So this is what we mean when we say that Jesus was fully God, fully man. Okay, he wasn't 50% man, 50% God. He was 100% man, 100% God. And he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant. 
And then when we fast forward, and, and she's going to address this later as well, uh, this idea of him being uh, exalted. Therefore, God was, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Oh, so, okay, so Jesus became this, right? This, this God figure we talk about. Like Jesus became this because the Father has, has exalted him. But that's not what that means, okay? When you look in the, again, look in the context, understand what we're talking about, is that he did not see equality with God something to be grasped because he already had that. He left his dwelling, came down to the earth, took the form of a servant. All right, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews goes on to explain this. It says that he, for a time, became lower than the angels, right? He came down for a season, suffered, became a man, lived 33 years, was crucified, right? Lived a sinless life. And what happened is the, then the father exalted him, right? What does this mean? It, he returned him back to his proper state, right? When Christ died and rose again, what do we see? Is that he exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Why? Because that's the name that belongs to him anyway, right? So he returned to his proper status. He returned to his proper dwelling in heaven, Okay, he did not gain or lose anything. All right? So going back to this idea of when she says that, and I know it seems like, all right, what was the original verse? John 14, right, that the Father is greater than I. Jesus is speaking about in his humanity. Because there's certain aspects of God that cannot be seen in Jesus, right? As far as like, you know, in the flesh form of Jesus, you can't see the fact that he is omnipresent. You can't see the fact that he is omniscient. But we understand that that is who God is. And Jesus is fully God. So what do we mean? That Jesus in his humanity laid aside those rights that are fully his. And he is saying that the Father is greater than what I express to you in the flesh. See, there's times where Jesus will refer to himself as the Son of Man. Right? We talk about see Jesus is the Son of God. But we see this term, Son of Man. It's also... Uh, uh, reminiscent of old, uh, old Testament scriptures. Daniel talks about the Son of Man. Uh, Ezekiel talks about the Son of Man. And when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, that is a way of, of hinting at his humanity. Right? When he says Son of Man, he's talking about, it's, it's indicating his humanity. So here's the thing. Is God the Father greater than Jesus in his humanity? Well, yes. I mean, absolutely. What, what does he say in John 4? That God is spirit. Right? And Jesus humbled himself. Right? Concealed his glory for a time. And when do we see him pull back this, this, pull back this uh, veil and reveal his glory? And on, in the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Where Peter, James, and John, and he, and he, re, he pulls back this, this meekness and he reveals his glory to them. And it's this amazing picture, right? Which that story is never referenced in this video, interestingly enough, right? So it's this idea of Jesus, that the Father is greater than I, is not saying that, that, the, that the Son is eternally lesser than the Father. That's not what that means. So continuing on. Or God the Holy Spirit. They just have different roles. But Jesus just said, my father is greater than I. I think we have two options here now. We can either take what Jesus said and try and interpret it and make it make sense to fit the Trinity doctrine, or we could reject anything that contradicts what came out of Jesus's mouth. Okay, 
that's a problem, okay? Because what she is saying, because also you could tell in the way she's explaining it, right? We could either, you know, try and make this somehow fit with the Trinity doctrine, right? And she uses that term, the Trinity doctrine. And what she basically she's almost acting as if it's not biblical. So basically, like, you take this idea that's not in the Bible, and you can try and fit the Bible to meet that, um, which is not what we're doing. Um, it's actually, sadly, what's going on here. Uh, but she, you know, she's saying we could either do that, or we could just ignore everything in the Bible that contradicts with what Jesus said here. Well, that's a big issue, because of all... Okay, so if we're going to just take all the things that, uh, that contradict with that statement, because she's basically saying that the Father is greater than the Son, Okay, and because Jesus said it, Jesus said it. So everything else that says the opposite, we're going to ignore. Well, here's a problem with that. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, that being God, spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's go back to John 1.1. 1, 1. What does it say? That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. Then we're going to continue on. We're in John, where Jesus is speaking to, uh, he's speaking to people. Here, let me, John chapter 8. John chapter 8, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That term, I am, the, the name that God gave to Moses in the book of Exodus, that I am. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is clearly, clearly, clearly claiming to be the eternal God. But she says, anything that disagrees with, uh, anything that disagrees with the Father being uh, greater than the Son, right? So, you know, if it doesn't come out of Jesus' mouth, right, you know, then we got to throw it away. Well, you have to throw away Jesus' words, not only that, there's, she's, she's, she's coming into the argument with assumptions. What are those assumptions? She's assuming, again, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not equally God. Because if she understood that they were all equally God, then she would understand that, what does Paul say to Timothy? All Scripture is God-breathed. So the words of God in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, wherever... And the words of Jesus in the Gospels are both equally Jesus' words. So she's saying, oh, if it disagrees with what Jesus says, then we throw it out. But the problem is that Jesus, is, <laughs> Jesus spoke. Jesus is fully God, and God is the author of Scripture. So another contradiction. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Notice that title, Son of Man, again. Emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Now, it doesn't get much clearer to me that the Father is greater than the Son. There's your problem. The Father is greater than the Son. Why is that such an issue? Remember what I said earlier. Take it to its logical conclusion. If Jesus is not fully God, if Jesus is not 
equal to the Father, then Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you was insufficient. Jesus' sacrifice was insufficient. Only God can satisfy God's wrath. Only an eternal God can fully satisfy the, your eternal debt to Him. And if Jesus is not equal to the Father, then you're, you are still in your sins. I'm still in my sins. Like, and again, like I said, I don't know, if she, I don't think she's malicious in what she's saying. I, don't, I think she's genuine in what she's trying to do. But the problem is, is that she is taking Christianity and she is gutting it of its truth. And while it may make sense in its isolated bubble, it has massive implications. Massive implications. Let's keep going. If Jesus was just one third of God, how can God the Father teach God the Son something? Again, he's not one third of God. <laughs> he's not. They'd have equal knowledge. What one knew, the other two would know. He also said if I- Again, what one knew the other two would know, that is absolutely true. But again, Jesus is speaking in his humanity here. He's speaking in his humanity, okay? What, what did I say earlier? He emptied himself, taking, taking the form of a servant. Okay, taking the form of a servant, laid aside the rights that were rightfully his, lived a fully human life, while not releasing his divinity, still being fully God. Okay. Then she goes on to John chapter 8, verse 54, which... I honor myself. My honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. He didn't say one-third of your God. If Jesus once... Again, he's not one-third of God. Once again, we're one-third of God. How could him honoring himself be nothing. He said it only means something because it is coming from my father, whom you Again, say is your God. Here's another thing the we have to understand. Cultural context. Okay? And Jesus says this multiple times. God is. At that time, um, a testimony this is from a legal standpoint, testimony was only valid if it was confirmed he is by at least two more people. My father honors me. Okay? That is why it so means if I came to you and I had something in a legal context and I had a statement, right? My testimony is only Will pass affirmed away. as but being truthful if I have two away. more people but about to confirm that day or hour, and what no Jesus is saying is he, hey don't just listen to son, me because he claims to be God right I mean John chapter 8 when he's when he's with the um, he's with the teachers of the law he's claiming to be God truly I truly I say to you before Abraham was I am like boom all right and they have a problem with this uh, and he's saying hey like don't listen to me listen to my father like, I'm not seeking to just glorify myself. And what he's saying here is that I have, like, that I'm not just speaking of my own accord, that there is testimony of me. Right? What does he say? It's, it's the prophets and the law that testify about me. Right? And we talk about this idea of two uh, people to add to a testimony to make it valid. Well, we talk about the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit testify to the truth of who Christ claims to be? Well, when we place our faith in Him, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, Scripture says that we, are, uh, we, are, we have the fruit of the Spirit, right? And we're led to be made more into the image of Jesus, 
right? So as we are being made more into the image of Christ, we begin to hate the sin that we once loved and love the God that we once hated. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit, which testifies to the truth of who Jesus is. Now, how does the Father testify to the truth of who Jesus is? Through the resurrection. You see, if Jesus wasn't fully God, then God would never, then he would never have risen from the dead. So the Father puts his stamp of approval on the testimony by what? By when, he's when Christ raises from the dead, bring, uh, having him sit at, you know, sit at the right hand, right? This restoring of his status to where he once was. Not that he was less God, but you know what I'm trying to say. Then also, the Holy Spirit affirms the testimony of Jesus through sanctification of the believer. That's what she's talking about. He's not saying, Jesus isn't saying, like, what I have to say doesn't matter unless... No, no, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. You say is your God. The way that the Trinity doctrine explains who God is, it doesn't line up with what came out of Jesus' mouth. That's not true. This is clearly Jesus saying to us that my Father teaches me. He is greater than I. My Father honors me. That is why it means something. It's clear as day. There's also this. It's clear as day if you don't take into context or if you don't take into, the re into, co into consideration the rest of the Bible. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Again, speaking in his humanity. Only the Father knows when this life as we know it will come to an end. How could that be if God is made up of three co-equal persons. They would all three know. Notice though, how Jesus does not say that the Holy Spirit doesn't know. Did you notice that? That he doesn't say, he says the angels, nor the Son, speaking of his humanity, but only the Father. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, because the Holy Spirit knows. Why? Because in his divinity, he knows. See, Jesus is talking about in his humanity, Right? He's in his humanity, but in the divine, in the divinity of who the Son is, co-equal with the Father, of course he knows. But in his humanity, he does not, okay? And if he was trying to say that the, the, that the Trinity or that the Father is greater than the Son and the Holy Spirit, then he would have added the Holy Spirit in there, but he doesn't. The thing that, that keeps making my spirit jump every time I talk about this, I don't like referencing God as they. It, it makes me shiver because we can say all day that, that the three distinct persons are one God but referencing the Trinity doctrine I find myself referring to God as, as they as God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and honestly according to the doctrine it doesn't really have to be in that order because none of them are greater than the other so it could be God the Holy Spirit first and then God the Son and then God the Father or God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. It really doesn't matter. There's no hierarchy. But Jesus stated a clear hierarchy when talking about his Father. The God no, he didn't. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. And it also says right... Okay, so that verse that she gives in Acts, uh, the term glorified, if you look in, again, in the Greek of what that word means in that context it is to to establish to exalt to a certain position 
That's what that word glorify means, to exalt to a certain position. So the Father exalted Christ to a certain position. What was that position? It was that position he had before the beginning of the world. It was the position he had before coming in the form of a human. Okay? Again, that, that, that's not to say that the Father made the Son anything great. It's, it's to, it's, that's not what, again, it's not what it means. It says right here in Colossians 3.1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Okay, I'm glad she mentioned Colossians. I'm glad she mentions Colossians. Because uh, this, uh, one of the core passages that uh, teaches, a, uh, that, that talks, that really reinforces the idea of the Trinity is in Colossians. So let me uh, get there and we're going to cut as I try to find this. <laughs> okay, Colossians. Again, she mentions Colossians to reinforce her argument. But you want to know how I know she did not read the context? is because right before this, I mean right before this, Colossians 1, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. By who? But the Son, Jesus. By all, by, through Him all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Let's skip ahead again. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Again, I'm not. What I'm trying to, here's what I'm trying to say. Again, I'm not attacking her at all. What I'm trying to help you to understand is that what she's telling, what she's saying is just not supported in Scripture. It's just not supported in Scripture. Okay? Then she goes on, talks about this idea of him being seated at the right hand of God. And listen to how she explains it. Sitting at the right hand of God. Not God the Father, but God. If they were referencing God the Father and they just forgot... Which they're not. That's the thing. So she's basically trying to say that, oh, Jesus is next to God, which means that he must not be God. But that, again, that's not what that means. Okay, uh, so the idea of seated at the right hand, it was a seat of honor. It was a, it was a seat, it was a position of honor, it was a position of status. So to be seated at the right hand of God is, is, the, is how we see that it is a form of showing that he is equal to God. That's what that means. And not only that, being equal to God, and this is what in the book of Hebrews talks about, is that because he is equal to God, however, at the same time he lived the life of a man, he is able to intercede for us. He could go to the Father on our behalf. She's trying to draw this distinction between that, you know, the Father is God and Jesus is next to him. And that, that, that's not what the Bible teaches. Specified. Why would it matter that he was sitting at the right hand of God the Father? That seems like a very specific statement. Like, like it, there is honor in sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Because first of all, there is. But the Trinity doctrine doesn't represent that. 
according to the Trinity doctrine, God the Father, it really doesn't matter where he sits. He could sit in one of three seats. Because, well, so that's not true. Because that contradicts what she said earlier. What she said, she goes, according to the Trinity doctrine, it doesn't matter what seat he sits in. He can sit in one of either three seats. But didn't she also say earlier in that graphic she showed that the Son is not the Father and the Father is not the Son? That's what the Trinity doctrine teaches? So, but that they're, that they're co-equal, but they're different in roles? But then how does, how does that say what she's saying here? That they can sit wherever they want. They can, they can interchange roles. That's not, what the Trinity, that's not what the doctrine of the Trinity teaches. The doctrine of the Trinity says that they all have specific roles within the Godhead, and she's saying that they don't, even though earlier she said that they did. Again, I think she's just severely confused. You know, Jesus could take God the Father's seat, or, or God the Holy Spirit could sit in the middle. No, and this, again, this is where there's a lack of understanding in the roles of the individuals in the Trinity, which we don't have time to get into. This video is already long enough. Uh, but the, the roles of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit um, are very distinct. And God the Father could be off on the right. There was purpose to this statement. This statement told us that there was honor in sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Even though it didn't put God the Father, it says God. <laughs> And it says that because God is God all by himself. Jesus is a direct extension of God. Okay, going back to what we said earlier. God is God all by himself and Jesus is an extension of God. Listen to how she explains this. In the form of his word, the Holy Spirit, a direct extension of God. Like it says here. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It didn't say, do not grieve God, the Holy Spirit. It said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, so now she's creating a distinction where there is no distinction. Um, now, it's funny that, you know, individuals like her and probably others would call me uh, a literalist, right? Like when we read the Bible and, God and Jesus says, like, I and the Father are one. She would say that I'm being too literal when I read that. Um, but on the other hand, she's being extremely literal in her understanding of this text of saying the Holy Spirit of God, not, oh, God, the Holy Spirit. Like, it, it, there's no distinct, like, th th that's, that's, you're creating an argument where there isn't one. Because the Holy Spirit is a direct extension of God. I think that this doctrine was interpreted using certain verses in the Bible like baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son. So now what she's going to do is she's going to point out verses that seem to teach the Trinity, which they do. ...and of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus says things like, the Father and I are one, and if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. When God's... So, so here's my thing. When you read those verses, what else could they mean? What else could they mean? I mean, I guess according to her logic, what she said earlier, well, we throw those out then. Says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. That makes perfect sense to me because Jesus is literally the word of God. He's of the exact same essence because he's a direct extension of God in the form of his word. And I know I keep saying direct extension, but that's literally the best way to describe it. So when people say Jesus- Again, not to- make a joke of it, but the best way to describe it would probably be the way that God describes it. 
Jesus is God. In a way, I understand what they're saying, but not in the way that the Trinity doctrine explains it. Like, for example, my words, when my words come out and I'm in no way comparing myself to God or Jesus, this is just the best example I can think of to use. The words coming out of my mouth right now, they are a direct extension of me. My words are me because they express what is going on in my mind. Okay, so again, she's saying that, you know, again, she's taking an English definition of a word and applying it to a Greek word, which there's no there's no comparison there's no parallel it doesn't work so her misunderstanding of this uh, I, I talked about earlier but she's saying that my words are an extension of me um, that's not what John 1 means when it says that Jesus is the word it's not what it means all right so I'm gonna fast forward a little bit because she's gonna kind of reinforce this idea and we've already addressed this so his word because his word can't fail if God says I am making a new covenant my word, my son, I'm sending you to earth in flesh to be the ultimate sacrifice for my creation. Okay. Again, now this doesn't really necessarily have to do a whole lot with the, the idea of, of saying that Jesus is lesser than, but I think it does point out something that's important for us to understand. What I talked about earlier, let's go um, first, uh, sorry, Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Let's go back to John 1. Some of you are like, what are you doing right now? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So what does this mean? That Jesus, how did God create the world? He did it through the Son. The Son created the world. And what she says here, let's go back now, now that I have said that, let's go back and listen to what she says. His Word, because His Word can't fail. If God says... I am making a new covenant. My word, my son, I'm sending you to earth in flesh to be the ultimate sacrifice for my creation. So what she says, she says that the father sent the son for the father's creation. However, the scripture doesn't teach that. The scripture teaches that the son, that the world was created through the son. Now, does it ha like, here's the reason I say that is that there are inherent assumptions that she is bringing to this argument that are incorrect. And when we read the Bible with incorrect assumptions and we're not willing to be wrong on those assumptions, then it leads us into error. His word will go forth. It can't fail. But the Trinity doctrine doesn't really state it like that. It doesn't state it like Jesus Christ is God's word, a direct extension of God the Father. Again, that's not what that means. Uh, I'm gonna, she, she, again, she reinforces this over and over again, uh, that Jesus is an extension of God, not God himself, not, not the Father. So we'll go. No maker. He's, he is God. And it's like, well, Jesus' maker is God. When God's word oh, leaves yeah. him, he, Hold on. God okay. makes here we go. This is a big deal. Let's go back. There's just one of three. There are two more like him. That's not what scripture tells us. 
Scripture tells us that the word is what God makes it. People got on me oh. for this. Jesus is the word and the word is what God makes it. Okay, what is she trying to say? For this, because I posted a video on TikTok to where I, I was, um, you have to see the video to know what I'm talking about. But as Jesus, I was saying, I was referring to God and I said, my maker, the most loving one. And people were mad at me. They were like, Jesus has no maker. He's, he is God. And it's like, well, Jesus's maker is God. When God's... <sighs> okay, Jesus's maker is God. So... Uh, to say that Jesus was created by, that Jesus is a created being, that is a Jehovah's Witness teaching. That's not a Christian teaching. That, that's Jehovah's Witness, uh, even leaning Mormonism. That is, uh, the Bible, nowhere does the Bible teach that Jesus was created. Um, if Jesus is created, then he is not eternal. If Jesus is not eternal, then he cannot pay for your sins on the cross. Uh, that, that I, I, I have no other way to explain that to you. Uh, Jesus was not created. Uh, he is equally God. He is co-equal with the Holy Spirit and the Father. You cannot say. And here's another thing. Uh, Malachi 3.6. God says, I the Lord do not change. Okay, so if the Lord does not change, then how could he create an extension of himself that wasn't there before? How could he add to himself? So now what we've done is we've, so we've taken the Trinity and we've diced that to pieces. We've taken the inerrancy of Scripture and we've diced that to pieces. Now we've taken the immutability of God, the fact that He does not change, and we've diced that to pieces. And eventually what you have is you have something that's just not Christianity. And it's dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. And somebody with seven million followers, and this video has over a million views. You, we guys, we have to understand that our platforms, not everything you see online is true. And you need to be able to say, how can I watch these things? How can I see these things? And be able to discern truth from error. When God's word leaves him, he, God makes it whatever he intends for it to be. He shapes it and then it goes out living and does his will. This is the clearest interpretation that I've gotten just from reading scripture and from talking to God, asking him questions, asking him to lead me and explain to me why he wanted me to look into the Trinity doctrine. That's why it's really, really important for us to get in, in it ourselves and read it. He will make things clear to you. Jesus and God are one. They are the exact same essence. Jesus is divine. It's because he is a direct extension of God. Again, there's contradict she's contradicting herself. And again, she and then she goes on here. Um, and I'm, we're not gonna, you know, this video is already really long. But here's what I want you guys to understand. And she actually at the end is basically gonna say, "Don't depend everything you believe on what I'm saying." Um, and I would say you would probably want to open with that. Uh, you know, because she's speaking with authoritatively this entire time. Um, Guys, the reason that this is so important is because if you have a different God, you have a different gospel. And we need to be very careful. You know, if you want to, you know, whenever you see somebody who is young and they're presenting something that in Christianity that they're like, oh, I know that the church has taught this for 2,000 years, but, you know, I think I know it right. I think I know it. I think I got it down. Like, not to say anything negative about her at all, I don't mean this, but doesn't that seem kind of arrogant? 
to think that for 2,000 years, all of these scholars and theologians that disagree with me, they're wrong, I'm right. Do you, like, one thing, when you read the Bible, when you come, up to a, when you come to a conclusion that seems to contradict with what script, you know, people have believed Scripture to teach for 2,000 years, maybe you should think, is there, maybe, is there a re- like, am I, maybe I'm wrong? Maybe I'm wrong? Again, not everyone's going to agree on certain areas, but when it comes to the nature of who God is, you don't want to be wrong on that. You don't want to be wrong on that. And I think that, you know, we, you know I, 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 the, I say this because, you know, we get asked a lot of questions. I know I get asked a lot of questions. And um, I, 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 instead of having a bunch of students seeing this video, getting confused, uh, I, we wanted to make a video that could just say, hey, let's walk through this together. I know it was long, and if you stuck with us to the end, God bless you. You're awesome. Um, but we just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Read the word and be open to correction. Okay, don't pigeonhole yourself into a belief and then, oh, you know, and then fight in every direction. Um, you know, understand that um, scripture interprets scripture. It is God-breathed. Uh, Jesus is fully God. He is equal to the Father, equal to the Spirit. Um, and that there is, God is one essence, three distinct persons with different roles. Uh, again, I'm not going to be able to answer everything about the Trinity in this setting, uh, but I wanted to address this video. Uh, guys, if you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment uh, or even ask me in person if you want. Uh, love you guys. Can't wait to see you soon. God bless.